Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. Our guest today is Frida Wolf. Frida Wolf is an amazing voice actress who has amassed quite literally hundreds of game, TV show, and film credits in her career so far. You can hear her in places like Sailor Moon, Mass Effect Andromeda, the Final Fantasy VII Remake, Apex Legends, Fortnite, and so, so, so many other games, shows, and movies. In this episode, we talk all about how she came from the world of sound design and transitioned into the world of voice acting, what a good voice actor does and how they can break into the industry, how to make sure that we can stay creative in our careers for the long haul, the importance or lack of importance of social media, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Frida Wolf. All right, so like one of the first questions I have for you to start is a lot of actors or people in this field, voice or face actors or anything like that, a lot of them go after fame and accolades, doing con circuits, those sorts of things, and posting a lot on social media. But I know you're kind of different in that regard. You tend not to do those sorts of things, or maybe you prefer not to do those sorts of things. Can you talk to that? Like why that isn't a part of the standard business strategy for you and why it is for so many other people? I mean, you could read it as lazy, <laughs> but the thing about like the acting hustle is no different than any other hustle in that there's no one way to hustle it. And you shouldn't ever feel obligated to do exactly what other people in your field are doing when they're doing it, the way they're doing it, with whom they're doing it, like mind your own business. Because the second you start trying to emulate other people's careers, you're not really invested in your own. You're just trying to be someone who you're not. And that, you know, philosophically fills you with an emptiness that cannot be filled with anything, first of all. But the voice acting hustle, there are several branches in which, yeah, I, I notoriously don't partake in. And this all goes down to my business strategy of, of how I want to live my life long term. I think everybody, no matter what field you work in, your trajectory should always be less work, more money, less work, more money, less work, more money. And if at any point you catch yourself doing more work for less money, stop. You screwed up somewhere, fix it, say, I'll never do that again, and get back on the horse with less work, more money, less work, more money. So in terms of voiceover, for example, foreign, i.e. anime, dubbing, is some of the lowest paying, hardest, technically challenging work there is for voiceover. It is miserable. It is painstaking for everybody involved, from the actors to the engineers to the directors, because matching lip flaps sounds easy in theory. My God, it is not. Every session, the booth director is also like simultaneously rewriting as we go, because maybe when they were writing the translation, it matched a practice when the director or the translator was doing it. And then you get in the booth and the actor's like, I can't make this work. Like we're coming up too short, too long. So we rewrite it as we go. You act like a racehorse. You wait for a beep, 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 go launch, which is completely unnatural. And you have to make it sound like you're picking it up in the middle of a scene or a conversation. 
everything about it sucks, except for some actors, whether they use it for um, just to get their foot in the door, they'll stay mostly in anime because that's how you build a fandom, which gets you invited to conventions, which is how you collect autograph money and appearance money and photo money and stuff. So they're not really making money off of voiceover. They're making money off of fandom and conventions and stuff. But part of that is traveling and airports and lost baggage and delayed flights and being in a hotel. And if I wanted that lifestyle, I would have been a stand-up comic. You know, I used to be a game developer, sound designer. I like my home. I am a hobbit. If I travel, I want it to be for pleasure very often. A lot of voice actors, I know, especially those with families, they'll only agree to conventions if they can, through the convention organizer, keep the hotel booked take their family and stay through the week or two to make it a vacation. Like they have to make it part of their lifestyle. The people I know who are unmarried and don't have kids and on the convention circuit do it because they're, they're trying to get ahead of that fear of like, I'm just going to stop booking tomorrow. No one's going to pay me. I'm going to have to do something else. So I better make my money now. So they're just trying to strike while the iron's hot and just make money, make money, make money, make money. And I'm like, I don't want to do any of that. I don't want to do any of that. If I can find a way to work less and make more money by not having to travel for work, I'll take that option. And this is before like COVID and, you know, everybody knows about con crud. Well, now we have con COVID and airport crud and, and airplane crud. And it's just like the whole year and a half of my self-imposed bunker lockdown, not getting sick was amazing. I would like to do that as much and as often as possible. So that's one reason why I don't chase convention, fandom, autograph money stuff, because it it sucks for me. Some people get off on it on a psychological aspect where, um, I mean, you know, I don't know if you know this, but actors are attention hungry, sometimes because of a parental love deficit. And if they can, you know, get that love from an audience that loves them for that one thing they did that one time, it sort of soothes them psychologically and keeps them going. Then on top of that makes money. But again, that's something that I don't feel I need at this time. And also like being honest, I don't get like a ton of convention requests. So it's not like I'm turning them down left and right, but I'm also not actively pursuing it. So like I only do anytime you see me with a credit for um foreign dub and anime dub or something, it's because someone asked me to do it as a favor to the casting director, not because I auditioned for it, not because I sought it out. I delete all those auditions because I don't want to do it because I don't want to get stuck in that pool of making so little money for so much work. But again, like no insult whatsoever to people who stay there because they're happy. They're thrilled doing the convention circuit and the autograph hustle and stuff for that and good for them. But my point is that you shouldn't look at any one voice actor, if that's what you want to do, and think I have to do everything they're doing the way they're doing it. Absolutely not. You are not obligated. The sausage is made many different ways for many different flavors of sausage. You figure out what you want, but don't do it the way I do it or anyone else does it. Just figure out what makes you happy. Because at the end of the day, this is a job, right? And you shouldn't be stuck doing a job that you hate or that makes you miserable. I would be so miserable. And then on top of that, like if you're miserable, what are you delivering to fans? A miserable experience, right? The whole thing feedback loops poorly. I think that's awesome. Like, I think more people in any artistic field, especially freelancers, need to hear exactly what you just said of 
do what makes you happy, make it work for you, adapt it to your lifestyle as opposed to forcing things you may hate doing or really don't want to do. So when someone is starting out, let's say someone is starting out in the field of voiceover and wants to do it like you, they maybe want it to be more private, they don't want to do the con circuit, what sort of things do you tell them to do? Because standard advice is go on social media, blast yourself out there as much as humanly possible. What do you tell them to do? There's a lot of Kool-Aid drinking cult behavior, in my opinion, in the last few years with social media. There are a few agents out there that are, frankly, I think a bit twisted and put pressure directly on their actors of like, you got to get your followers up. You got to do streaming, man. You got to get your streaming numbers up. You got your followers up because you know you're not going to get roles if you don't get followers. I've only been with one agency the whole time in my career, but they're highly sought after and they have never put pressure on me to do anything I don't want to do. In fact, like when I told my agents, like, I don't really want to do conventions. My agent said, hallelujah, because uh, most conventions don't even want to pay afterwards. There's a whole behind the scenes shenanigans where uh, most of them will take the money and run and they won't pay the appearance fee, which you know is not a hassle for the actor so much as it is for the booking agent, the manager, or the voiceover agent that negotiated it. And my agent's like, dope. I don't want to deal with that either. Right? Um, again, like less work, more money, less hassle, less headache, more money. Just don't fall in that pit. I don't see the point. It's so masochistic. So... Hold on, what track were we on? <laughs> so, so I'm basically just wondering what you tell people who are breaking in brand new. Okay, so the social media thing. The social media thing bugs me because agents or other voice actors or voice actors who put pressure on themselves of like, I gotta get my followers up and they just become a content factory where they get in the same headspace as face actors, as, on, as I call them, on-camera actors. Which, by the way, is a whole different skill set. Like, I will constantly, like, while watching stuff, be like, God, what amazing face acting because those it's it's a set of muscles that i personally don't really use unless i'm being filmed for reference or doing pcap or something and i am hyper aware that i'm not camera aware i don't know how to play the camera because it's just not my day-to-day job which is why a lot of face actors fail in the booth because those are muscles that they don't flex it's all different you know in the same way that like you know composer who is really excels at like synth stuff maybe sucks at orchestral stuff just different muscles in the same genre, right? So at the end of the day, constantly every day, this has happened to me multiple times and happens to everybody, you can't fight celebrity. You can't. You got nothing. You got nothing. And you shouldn't feel bad about it. And no one should be allowed to make you feel bad about it. Especially if you, like me, you don't want to be famous or you don't want to, um, again, that hustle. You don't want to chase the fame hustle. You shouldn't feel forced to in voiceover because you can still make a very comfortable living and book really awesome jobs without having to be a celebrity. And in my opinion, if a project feels so dependent on booking celebrity talent, maybe the project's not that good. Maybe the project's not that strong on its own to actually feel that it has viability to sell if it doesn't have all celebrity cast. That's kind of a red flag. So, you know, I'm I'm never that butthurt when like, I get recast for a celebrity because it's like, well, then maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't feel that good about your project. So there's just, there's no fighting it and, and putting that pressure on a voice actor to get followers to fight with celebrity status and then to be recast anyway, is just, it's so stupid. And again, psychologically damaging. I just don't engage. I don't see the point. So I've, I've been notoriously on and off and on and off social media because nobody gives you a brochure on how to be an actor on social media. So I've made a lot of mistakes and really stepped my foot in it 
a number of times and it's taken me, you know, Twitter's been around for over 10 years. You know, it's taken me this long to figure out how to Twitter with the least amount of splash damage coming back on me. And for me, that means like, don't engage. Like you can't, you will never win any argument. You know, do we have tools now beyond blog? Like you can, you, you can have someone scream into the void forever and you never have to see it. All these things that prevent me anyway, from falling into the trap of an energy vampire sucking my will to participate in the internet anyway. There's just, nobody wins, mm -hmm. right? So I just don't feel the need to hustle for followers because I still have to audition for every job. We all do. We audition for all of our jobs. The only relationships that matter in voiceover are the relationships you have with your agents and then agents have with casting directors. That is the chain of command. For a voice actor, the most important thing to start your career is to get an agent because the agents are the gatekeepers to the real jobs. And what I mean by real job is real money. And by real money, I mean union residuals. And the agent's whole job is to maintain these relationships with casting directors, who, by the way, casting director, it's just like video games or anything else. Nobody is necessarily loyal or lifer to a company. Most casting directors, if not like 99%, are freelance. They work for a bunch of studios at a time. The casting director who casts you for something in Nickelodeon is probably going to work for Disney in a couple of years once their contract's up, right? So it'll cast you for something else. So like being brand loyal is stupid because we're all working in the same tiny, tiny, tiny pool and we all shift around like baseball players, just like video game people. It's really bizarre and sick to me when someone gets like incredibly brand or corporate loyal. A company can never be loyal to you. A project can't be loyal to you. You are just a troop. <laughs> you are a cog in the machine and you're just as easily disposed of. So getting really defensive or weird about it doesn't matter because you'll probably be working somewhere else eventually, you know, or working with someone that you used to work for who now works somewhere else. Da, da, da. Same thing in NVO, right? So jobs come and go. They come through this very specific assembly line of agent to casting director. My followers do not send me auditions. My followers do not give me jobs ever. It doesn't work that way. So I don't get it. Again, it's part of this like attention, serotonin feedback sickness loop that people get trapped in. And I just I want to minimize that damage, <laughs> straight up brain damage as much as possible. The few times when social media has helped me book a job was because I reached out directly to like, like young horses. I happened to say in a tweet, when Octodad was in development, oh, I'm so excited about this next generation of indie game developers who, because these were all, this was the first generation of young people who had the tools to make stuff at home, who didn't have any trauma from working at major publishers or developers who told them what would work and what wouldn't, who who like limited their worldview. This was the first time that that people could just do whatever they thought stuck. And I mentioned Octodad in a tweet, just being like, I'm so excited about stuff like that. And five minutes later, Phil Tibetoski, who's the CEO leader of Young Horses, emailed me through my website being like, hey, we just saw you said something really nice about Octodon on Twitter. Would you like to audition for our game? But again, that's not a fan. That wasn't a follower. That wasn't like someone who was like into me from a fan perspective. That was a fellow professional who was doing it the right way. You know, this is before I had an agent and stuff. And it was just like, I, did I have an agent? I might have had. I don't remember. But he basically, like, he did it the grown-up way. He put on his grown-up pants, approached me like an adult, and that's how I got a job. It wasn't an autograph signing. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I would rather go to the source of how I get jobs and keep that 
pipeline healthy and well nourished and make sure that I'm doing all the things that I need to do to make me accessible and easy to work with. I mean, at the end of the day, the reason I work as much as I do is because I'm easy to work with. I take direction well, I listen, I show up, and I think I'm nice enough to work with. Not because I post good content, not because I post a lot of selfies, not because I post a lot of videos, not because I hang out with certain people, not because I go to movie premieres, none of that crap. And I think if I did that crap, I don't think it would get me jobs, but maybe it would. But again, I don't have to do it anyway. I don't want to. Right. Yes. And I refuse to believe that I do, especially in a creative industry. All creative industries are always evolving. The way we do everything is evolving, especially with technology in the mix, right? So I refuse to box myself in about there's only one way to go about this because the end goal is making money <laughs> so you can pay your bills. So however you get to A to B, good for you. I like that. I think these are gold nuggets for any freelancer, not just voice actors. Really. Of course it is. It's, there's, it's yeah. all intersectional. It's all the same thing. My God. 100%. I maintain that like 50 to 60% of my job is business administration. It's just keeping my shit in order. And I mean like making sure that I name my file names correctly. If you, if you don't name your file name correctly for an audition, it goes in the dump. Because mm -hmm. casting directors don't have time for that shit if you can't name your stuff correctly. If you can't edit your your audition cleanly, which, you know, obviously my background as a sound designer, very handy. And because like I have some like recording engineer background, da -da 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 -da, like all that stuff, again, feedback loops into this. As a freelancer, I keep a ledger of all my jobs and whether they've been paid because I always have outstanding amounts that I have to chase up on. In voiceover, it's considered not polite to ask for your money until it's been 90 days. And after 90 days, you can start hounding. But really, the only bullet we have in the chamber, and this happens all the time, is that a client who hasn't paid will be like, hey, so we'd like to book Frida for, uh-uh, uh, uh, I'm sorry, you haven't paid for that thing for five months ago. So until the check drops, we can't book you. And honestly, I'm the only actor I know who keeps a ledger. And I'm not going to say all voice actors don't keep a ledger, but I don't know anyone else who does. They just trust their agent. And like, agents aren't robots. They're humans. And you're not their only client. They have a whole roster of actors and a whole, I mean, like multiply the number of actors times the number of jobs. That's the number of invoices. It's a lot. You know, I never fault my, my agency when a payment goes missed because it's just, it happens. So it's my job as a freelancer to make sure I get paid or else clients would be thrilled to never pay me. And I'm, I'm sure anyone who works in freelance can relate to that has at least one story where someone didn't want to pay them or was like, oopsie daisy, you know, freelancer 101, honestly. So much of that is is way more pertinent to voiceover than the acting part. The acting is sort of minimal, to be honest. Yeah, this is what I tell a lot of sound design freelancers, too, is that like the business matters almost more than the thing itself, because so long as you're managing it well, so much becomes easier because we're running businesses. Even if you're doing it alone, you're running a business, regardless of what you think. I am the boss of my business. I am literally an S-corp. All voice actors are, for tax purposes, are S-corps. And I have to sign that I'm the president of my stupid company on every contract. <laughs> right. But act like it. Absolutely. Yeah, you want to be a good boss to yourself. It's, yeah. it's huge. And that's, you know, again, that's why I, I run my business the way I do, because I'm the only person who can give myself a day off. My, my agents aren't going to. My agents' one prerogative is to squeeze money out of me for as long as I'm viable. I respect that. But then it's my job to sometimes say no. Or say I'm taking a break or I'm on vacation or um, uh, it doesn't always work out, though. Like I have gone to sessions where like I had a 
surgery and I still had like drains sucking the blood and juices out of me. Oh and I told my agents, I need two weeks. And then the drains didn't come out. And they were like, well, you booked a pilot for an animation series. You have to go. And I was like, okay, no. And they're like, you have to go. They forced me to go with my drains. And I was quite explicit with everyone there. Hey, you want to see? Oh my God. And I was like, well, y'all said I had to be here. So I'm here. I refuse to be apologetic about being a human being with like limitations and like health concerns. <laughs> Cause again, no one else is looking out for me. It's just me. So I have to be my own fiercest advocate cause no one else is going to do it. Nobody. It's good advice. It's really good advice. And before, you know, all this voice acting stuff, you were on the game dev game sound design side of things. Yeah. So can you talk about that transition from that side to the other side of the glass and how you learned all this? Did you already have it in your back pocket, all this freelancing knowledge before? How did it come about as you went into this? What were the kind of stumbling blocks that you ran into too as you're coming out of that and into voice acting? I had bits and pieces and I thought I knew everything and then I learned I knew nothing very quickly. So just because of, of just circumstance, I was lucky in that uh, I got my foot in the door with sound only because Sony Online Entertainment, who made EverQuest, and then subsequently EverQuest 2, and then EverQuest 2 at the time uh, was the most ambitious voiceover project in video games with 100,000 lines of dialogue, which is really cute next to any GTA or whatever. Like, But at the time, you know, in, in 2004 or whatever, it was incredibly ambitious. They needed someone to just do VO implementation because it was like by hand through a tool. There was no batch dump. I mean, I'm from the generation developers where we had to wait for a bake machine. The machine would bake the latest build. Sometimes the build would crash. You could run anything on your machine. You think, what is this, loading up the game and just live testing your sound you made five minutes ago? No damn respect. I mean, that's, you know, I'm early 2000s generation. So they just needed a VO implementer. And that's how I got my foot in the door. And then cut to them letting me be a sound designer. They had so much VO going on. I turned 24 at the recording studio, which in hindsight is like, I was just a child. They had this 23, 24 year old kid. I don't know if, if I was even a year or two years into that job to run like two weeks, two and a half weeks of, of EQ2 recording in Burbank in studio as the client representative which is insane, right? That's absolutely yeah, insane that's in hindsight. And I get to be the dev that sat in on everything and checked everything and made sure that like all the characters were, you know, each like there was a frog race so that they all sounded the same and blah, 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 all that stuff. That was me, which is scary. But I learned so much and the um, booth directors were incredibly gracious and they could tell that I was young, but that I wasn't an asshole and that I was spongy and that I wanted this and I wanted to learn this. The studio bought me a cake. Like it was such a, so it was like a gift of an experience. And, um, you know, Sony Online was in San Diego. So I was up in a hotel by myself for two weeks. It's a 23 year old. It's just insane. Um, and I got to direct people that I later, you know, see at work who remember me as a child, um, like Mona Marshall, who's most known for um, being Kyle's mom from South Park. What, what, what? You know, I got to like direct her. It's just insane. But that let me see how the sausage is made, right? Because previous to that, um, I was just doing VO implementation and then I got to be like co-director and then I would be part of like a little bit of casting and scheduling and all that stuff. Everything shy of when you're, as anybody who's in development who listens to this, when you're not a manager, you do everything shy of the budgets and invoice and like the actual money stuff. 
but the actual fun, like scheduling and being there and assets, all that stuff I got to be a part of. And then same thing for just like subsequent jobs. I just kept being put in an adjacent position to be at the studio, to participate in casting. I did the same thing with like Sound Deluxe, which then became Formosa. There's a lot of people in our mutual industries who have literally watched me grow up because I started working in games when I was 18. And so they've seen me evolve through this career where like I'm still around just in a different capacity. So even now as a voice actor, you know, like I come and I'm like, oh, hey, and I'm working with like a developer that I used to work with or for. And now they're like bossing me around, which is very funny. So I understood a lot about video game VO specifically, but when you're a voice actor, you really don't get to choose what genre you're in because it's just, it's not sustainable financially. There are very, very, very few exceptions and they are exceptional people. And the, like, the only person I can think of that comes to mind, for example, is Eric Bauza. I do firmly believe that you're you're better at this job if you came from another job. When I started, I like told myself a bunch of lies like, oh, well, you know, I wasn't a child actor, so I'm not going to be very good. I'm going to be, whatever. No, no, no. My agents were like, oh, thank God you've had a real job. Honestly, if you come from a different industry or even better, an adjacent industry, I feel like you are so much more viable and you work so much more because you understand production. And then there's just a lot of invisible shorthand language that happens very quickly between actors and directors and clients in VO. And it's important because we're short order cooks. We have to get this done in the amount of time allotted because the studio time is, is paid and booked for it, and then they got to bring in somebody else. So we're going to get what we want or someone's head's going to roll. Someone's in trouble because then we have to spend more money for another session. Right. So Eric Bauza, um, I believe was, um, an animator layout artist on, um, Ren and Stimpy and was doing like Ren and Stimpy voices placeholder. And it turns out he's just insane. And if you look at Arabaza, he's doing like half of the characters for, he's the new Mel Blanc, hands down. He's doing half of the characters for Warner Brothers. And he's told me that he's just like, man, I just, I can't book commercial. I just can't book it. But my God, he is sick at animation. But that is a unicorn. That is not normal. The rest of us lowly, less talented, non-Eric Bowser people have to and should audition for everything because you don't actually know what you're good for. Even when you start, like I, I have a, a blog on my website where I talk about like, you should absolutely not cut your own demos or make your own demo material. I don't care if you come from audio. I don't care if you're an engineer. You literally don't know how the rest of the world receives you. You don't know what people are willing to pay you for. They will let you know, which is why typecasting happens. It doesn't happen by choice. I always like to bring up um, Richard Horvitz, who's the voice of Invader Zim, who I spent a lot of time with training with. He always talks about how when he was a child actor and he was coming up, he wanted to be Al Pacino with that voice. And he was just desperate to like dig these very deeply serious, dramatic roles. But he sounds like this. And he's he kills it as Invader Zim and these like really high energy characters because that's who he is. But he didn't yet understand, you know, or wasn't accepted because and, and that's normal when you're especially when you're younger, you want to emulate certain heroes. Right. Like something as basic as like, I want to learn guitar. I want to play guitar like Steve Vai, whatever. And I'm only saying that because right. you see the guitars behind me. That's my husband's guitar. And I live with a guitarist and now I have to live with a guitarist, which is a pain in the ass. But anyway, <laughs> you want to emulate your heroes. And then at some point it should, otherwise, again, it'll create a, a, a void deficit of joy in your life. It should click, oh, that's not who I am. That's never who I'm going to be. But this is who I am. And no one else can be me, but I can do this 
really well. And then once you embrace, truly, once you know yourself and embrace who you are and you're comfortable being yourself in public, because the way I describe VO is VO specifically is expressing emotions on demand in front of strangers for money. (laughs) And if you're at any point uncomfortable and holding back, you're suddenly a bad actor because Mm -hmm. you're like trapped within the confines of like, oh, I'm so embarrassed and I feel so stupid. And we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that because the next actor's coming in. What do you got? I was at a party and I had a casting director ask me, he's like, Frida, how do you, you always come in like warmed up and ready to go. And like, you're relaxed and ready. He's like, I always have to spend on average the first half hour getting the actor to relax and get in character Mm -hmm. so we can go. He's like, how come you show up ready to go? Cause I'm like, cause we don't have time. I know we don't have time for that shit, man. And like, I think this comes from my time in development of like living through crunch and deadlines and like deadlines and crunch is still when I like I'm fired up and like turned all the way on of like, let's go. Cause we don't have time. And I'm just super aware. I'm watching the clock the whole time of like how much time, like I think enough people have worked with me by now that they know that I will step out of my lane and get bossy and be like, Hey, you know, we're running kind of low on time. How can I offer you this? Can we maybe like do the next batch of lines? Let me give you an AB two takes. And if you don't like it, we'll go back and do pickups. But if we sit here and talk about every single line, it's going to add that much more time. I always want the client to look good for their bosses. I want to make everybody involved in the process look as good as I possibly can. I don't want to embarrass the casting director for recommending me. I don't want to embarrass the developer for working with me. I don't want to embarrass the engineer for making their job more difficult. If I make everybody look good, we all win and we can all go home and have lunch. Like there's a gif. I actually have a um, the breakdown like Tumblr style gif of Jennifer Lawrence. She's in an interview and the question was like, how do you get through a scene? What's your motivation? Something like that. And she's like, I think about how if I get this take right, we can wrap and go to lunch because I'm an artist. If you're an artist, you just want to wrap it up and you're holding up everybody for moving on with their lives. I'm very aware of that. Truly. It's all on me making everybody happy so we can all leave and go to dinner or lunch. Be aware of that. Like, Be aware that it's not about you and, and people are there for you. No, we're here to get this done. It's a job. No one wants to be here. Please get this right as quickly as possible. God, if I can impose one thing on, on people when I do this, it's that, man. We don't have time for your shit. So much, so much of it just goes back to just being comfortable around people, being yourself. Because once that clicks, the whole domino effect falls forward of people wanting to hire you. I, I'm at the point in my career now where I, I'd say like 15% of my of my income is from jobs that are given to me and not auditioned for. I still overwhelmingly audition for things, but I'm getting exactly the kind of work I want, which is called utility work. Utility is when, say, there's like an animated series and there or or a video game, and there's just a bunch of random NPCs or random characters in the in the animated show. They have like two lines, but they can't suck. Just it can't be bad. So who can we who can we book that won't screw this Frida? Frida won't screw it up. And so I'm I'm very pleased with myself that I've come to into the reputation of the person who won't screw it up. That that's all I've ever wanted. And that and that's also why like I don't chase the fame stuff because like I don't get money out of it. I don't get satisfaction out of it. I feel most satisfied when I'm making the people that I work with directly happy. And I could give a rat's ass about how fans receive it because it doesn't they're the fans aren't in the booth with us. They're not part of this pressure cooker of this like really technically difficult nerve-wracking, lots of spinning plates process that we do this in, right? I don't care what you think because you're not, you're not in the booth with me. You don't know how hard this is, right? 
if you're not happy with it, too bad. If I can make the client happy in the moment, I can sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great mindset to have. And your mindset when it comes to working in the booth on the clock makes perfect sense. And I really, really like it. How is it when on audition though? Like what is your brain space when you walk into an audition, you do an audition, where's your head at? So I think most people, there's like a biological response that everybody has the first time you hear yourself recording. You're like, I sound like that. Ew. Ew. Oh, and you just, (laughs) I think because of my time as a sound designer, I just don't have time for that. So what I do, I do whatever I do in the booth, but when I come to the desk to edit, I play casting director with myself and I don't care. I don't take it personally. I'm like, Ew, it's like that. I just think the only thing I think is would I hire this person for that job? If I was in charge and I've been casting director, right? So would I hire, would I stake my reputation, my whole network of freelance jobs? Again, like you, you got to think about how like delicately we all depend on each other in this business, right? And nobody wants to like screw up and make anybody else look bad. So would I stake my reputation as a casting director and hire this person for that role? And if my gut says no, I'd go back in the booth and try something else. You have to disassociate. I think, I, I mean, I don't know how anybody else does it. I only know how I do it and it works for me. And it also helps me just like pinch it off and get through it faster. Like for example, if I, uh, you know, I'm reading the waveforms and if it's a part where I can tell I got stuck and I had to do like multiple takes to get through a line or something, I don't torment myself. I don't listen to the previous takes where I was struggling. What's the point? I only grab the last take where I know I got a clean one and plug it in and move on. Because also like beating yourself up over auditions, 99% of which you're not going to book anyway, is stupid. It's so degrading and unnecessarily masochistic. Don't do it. I always say like my job is to audition and sometimes I get paid for it when I book. But the job is auditioning. The job is doing all these micro job interviews where you know you're getting rejected. Once you put yourself in the mindset of like, I'm not going to get this anyway, so it doesn't matter. Who cares? And that sort of like lightness of like, I don't even care is what books because you get out of your own way and you get out of your own head. And I always make the analogy to dating. If you show up to a date and you're like, please love me, please. I just, what do you want? What do you want me to do? I'll do anything. What do you want me to do? I just, I'm I'm so lonely and I don't want my eggs dry up and I just don't want to be, I don't want them to find my buddy covered in, in cat piss. You know, like that is so repugnant and unattractive. And if you do your auditions desperate and hungry and just like, it's a really need this job. You know, I don't know what I mean. The microphone picks up everything. It bleeds into your auditions and you won't get booked. Versus if you just do the auditions like, all right, whatever. You can, I don't care if you book me, take it or leave it. That's so hot. That's so hot. And everyone wants a piece of that. The, I do very often book stuff or I at least make it to callbacks where in my gut, I'm like, I'm the only person in town who can, who can do this. And it's not like a, a pompous ego thing. I'm just like, literally, I'm certain I don't think anyone else can do this particular niche job better than me. And I often book those. But again, it's because that confidence leads into the audition where I'm like, just hire me and you won't have to worry about anything else. Just trust me. Like, if I was a plumber and I came into your house and I'm like, I don't know if I can fix it. That makes everybody on edge because they're putting money in this thing and they just need to go right and they don't want you to come back to do it again. Do it like a plumber, man. Just Come and be like, well, this is what you need to do. This is what's going to cost. I don't give a shit if you fix this or not. It's my, not my problem. But if you want it done right, I'm here, whatever. Honestly, it just, it infects the rest of your business and it, and it ripples subliminally 
with everyone you work with. Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't have to come from ego. And I don't believe in fake it till you make it. I believe more in just vulnerability and just being really honest about when you don't know what you're doing, because some good people will help you and toxic people will try to stop you. And it's better that you know who's toxic and who's defensive and insecure and will say mean things or do mean things to get you out of their way. Cause those people exist everywhere, right? You'd rather know sooner than later. So you can just cut them off, oh, yeah. spit on the Absolutely. ground, do a little curse and then avoid them. But people who are happy to help you exist everywhere. Mm -hmm. If you let them in, I think people are much more reluctant to help someone who turns out to have been like false and boastful and like ultimately kind of a, like a liar of where they were at. I don't believe in fake it till you make it. I really don't. Or at least I never tried it. <laughs> well, it seems to have worked out just fine for you. So yeah, great. That's fantastic. Now, when it comes to, you know, you, you hit on that really well. And I've noticed even for my sound design students and composition students, I say the exact same thing of like, it's just like dating. We use the same analogy of like, as soon as you stop being desperate, the jobs come like stop chasing. You don't have to like breathe down their neck every two seconds begging for it. Now, when you're in that space, you're, you're, you're not too worried about it. What does it look like to go after something for you? Like, especially if you don't have an agent, like what does it look like to pursue work, but without looking super desperate or needy for it? Every voice actor will also tell you, you can't want it. Like there's, there's two rules to voiceover. You can't want the audition because then you absolutely won't get it. And if you want to book something, go on vacation, like book a vacation. <laughs> and then you'll book something huge where they're like, they need you here. It's like 14 days. It's like the, it's a major role. And you're like, every time. Ask anybody. It's to me too. I don't know what it is, man. So we're, we're just cursed like that. So that's just something to watch out for. Again, no one wants you to stop making them money. So at some point you have to put your foot down and be like, I am unavailable. And that's we're like, we'll pay you more. And you're like, oh, well. Every time. I remember watching a while back uh, Liam O'Brien, who's a, a good friend, voice actor, and also like someone who's like really kind. When I started, Stephanie Shea, who's another established voice actor, was the first person in this city who ever sent me an audition. We met at a bar during Austin GDC, when that still existed, during the recession. So like between 2008 and 2010, I was traveling a lot. I had um, like family members dying and like estates of all that fun adult stuff happening at the same time as the recession. So it worked out that like I couldn't have a full-time job anyway and nobody can get one anyway. And um, she was hanging out with Damien Kaspauer, who everyone in, in game audio knows. And Damien introduced us and we just, we were chatting. So I just, I mentioned past, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of, kind of thinking about VO briefly in this very loud Austin bar on 6th come home. She emails me. She sent me her first audition. She had absolutely no obligation to whatsoever. She didn't know me. She didn't even know what I could do. I didn't thrust a demo or a business card in her. It was just Damien just being like, yeah, Frida's awesome. You should talk to her. I believe it was his vouching for me that made Stephanie go, eh, why not? You know, and I'll always owe her for that because like, like I said, there are people who are kind and want to help you if you're honest about where, where your skill level's at and what you're interested at, and then they'll judge whether or not they want to help you. It's why I have like a whole how to become a voice actor. Like no one's paying me to have this how to become a voice actor page on my website or to like write topical blogs. No one's paying me. I just know that it's easier to like share the information. It costs me nothing. Whatever. If you want it, it's there. And if you know, if you want people to help you, they're there. Same thing with Liam O'Brien. Like when I first started showing up for work, I think through Stephanie, actually, he took the time to like talk to me and have lunch with me. I had nothing to offer. I hadn't done anything. He just sort of had like a feeling and he wanted to pick my brain and see where I was at. 
and nothing about it was like predatory or weird. It was just like a sincerely nice person. And again, you get so much more and you go so much further when you're not act like networking is greasy. Networking is gross. Trying to form relationships with human beings based on what you think they can do for you is nasty and everybody smells it and you get that reputation and people will avoid you. And, you, and then suddenly you're like fighting the current harder to build business relationships. And you're like, why is this working out for me? Cause you're not being a human being about it. Just be cool, dude. Just be yourself and be a person. Just like the same way I think you should handle social media. Just be yourself and be a person. The people who want to be with you will show up and surround you organically. It will be effortless. You don't have to Machiavelli manipulate. It's so stupid. It sounds exhausting. I don't have time for it and no one pays me to do it. Right. So like Liam took time to pick my brain and just sort of see what I wanted to do. And then he started sending me auditions and casting me and stuff. And then like he vouched for me with like Sam Regal, who's another well-known casting director, voice actor, da, da, da. and he starts sending me and just like, I never asked, I never asked these people to help me. They were just like, I'll take a shot. I got nothing to lose. Cause if you know, if you step on somebody's foot, they'll also cut you off just as easily. Right. So, if everybody's just, just be cool, just be cool. We can all help each other forward. So I brought up Liam. I thought of Liam immediately because I, I watched an interview with him a while back and he's, he said something about like the way he views this job is that uh, like that scene in probably one of the first X-Men movies where Magneto is taking a step and then a step and a step and he's like calling metal plates to him one at a time. And Liam's like, this job is like, I just trust to take a step and a plate will be there. And I trust that I'm going to take another step and a plate will be there. And I just walk with that kind of magneto confidence for some reason that has stuck in my brain, but again, it works. And I, and that is not faking it. It is just having the confidence in yourself of like, look, I believe in my talent, which I'm a, I'm a nerd. Obviously. I don't know if you could tell I'm a big nerd. I've been described as spongy many times. Cause I'm, I'm trying like, I don't know. I don't want to ever feel bored or stuck in anything I'm doing. And I watched again, another great thing that stuck in my brain was a video. I, I have it on my website um, with a casting director. There, there's so, again, the information is just there on YouTube. There's a bajillion channels dedicated to actors giving you advice, casting directors giving you advice, whether it's from schools or agencies or like workshops, Juilliard has like, it's all there, man. And if you have an internet connection and you're spending it doing other stuff, I question your commitment to sparkle motion. That's all I got to say. So this, this talent director was asked, could you describe talent? How would you explain the definition of talent? And he said, talent is executing skills with confidence. And his example was like, you could be the most talented tap dancer in the world. And if you get in front of us and you choke because you're nervous or your ability means nothing. If you're a mediocre tap dancer and you get in front of us and you just dance your heart out, you charm the room, you book the job. It's that simple. That's always in my brain. And I, I think those things are interwoven of just, I have the confidence that I am competent enough at doing this job that work will show up. And the flip side of that is being a savvy enough business person to what? Watch your overhead costs, keep your cost of living down. Work out what your month to month, week to week, year to year budget is. Figure out your projections of like, am I earning enough this year? Oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to be safe this year. Da, da. Consistently stuffing away savings as aggressively as you can. Or like I'm always advocating online because none of people know about index funds, which are the compound interest is superior to IRAs and 401ks, all that stuff. 
because I want to eat and pay rent, right? In the future, not just now. So I'm always like thinking about how can I make the jobs that I'm doing now last me in the future, which is where like residuals and all that stuff come in. It's just like you want the money now so you can just stuff it away for when you need it. And maybe you're not booking or you take time off or you're too sick or whatever. So yeah, that formula makes a freelancer go. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if any aspect of that is missing from the formula, maybe the freelancer doesn't go. Mm -hmm whatever it is, whether it's confidence or you're not saving your money, you know, or if you're not being cool and like helping people when they ask for it, it's, it's like, I don't know, ripping a, a bead off a dress and the whole thing just goes, <laughs> I think it falls on its face. Yeah. Yeah. It's a delicate balance, but I think all of everything you outlined is really crucial for what we do. And nowadays, considering you're, you know, you're more established, you have work coming in, that's not too much of a problem. I'm curious what you're focused on learning nowadays? Like, what is your focus on? What does your practice look like? How do you get better? What are you focused on getting better at? Uh, right now I'm learning opera. Ooh. <laughs> Which, like, my husband was on the phone with a childhood friend. My husband's very proud of his friend, Chef James. I don't even know his last name in this house. He's just Chef James. James is someone who went to high school with Joe. Joe's my husband, who's a, another game sound designer. And James quit school like at 15 or 16 or something. Cause he's like, I'm going to be a chef. Bye. And now he's like at a, like a four-star Michelin, the Sydney's top chef, blah, 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 blah. Like he did, he did the thing. He did the thing and he's doing the thing and he's very happy. And that's awesome. And Joe just told him like a couple hours ago, he's like, yeah, it's a free learning opera to, to like change jobs. No, for fun. So I, I started getting pandemic fever brain. We had season tickets to the LA opera and we were halfway through the season when everything shut down. And we had three performances to go and we we're both still really bitter about that because it was just, it was great. Like in, um, throughout 2019, I got a season tickets to the LA Phil and LA opera. And it became like these designated date nights where we would get fancy the fuck up and go out and eat and sit through an amazing performance and just feel like very cultured people. And then all culture, you know, in a plague culture goes away for reasons. So we've been really bitter about that and just like really missing theater and opera and the, the fill and all this stuff. And then I went down a rabbit hole one afternoon. Cecilia Bartoli, who's a well-known soprano, I, like I got inspired because I went down a rabbit hole and I didn't realize that she's, that she's very similar to me. She's such a nerd. My God, she's a hardcore nerd. She has curated a bunch of albums where rather than just doing like the standards, like a lot of opera singers would sell. She was digging up all these like abandoned, forgotten composers, random people you've never heard of, and then like really playing into it. Because opera singers are, at the end of the day, actors who sing opera, not singers who have to do a little acting. Like if you're on stage and you don't have an engaging performance, eh, because frankly, anybody can be loud and, and be bombastic and stuff. It's not the loudness and the vibrato isn't impressive. It's you being so moved by the scene with the orchestra and the set piece. It's like, it's the whole package, right? So Cecilia is such a nerd. Like she, um, there was the, I want to say like an 18th century priest who was also a spy, who was also a diplomat, who was also sort of like tangentially uh, attached to some murders, who was also a composer. And she like she did an album based on him and then she like did photo shoots for the album for press where she like put on a ball cap and was like walking around dressed as a cardinal and like in all these sort of like whisper dark and stormy night backdrop like cool as shit to me where she like embodied the project she wasn't just recording music to sell an album to like move units she like 
try to resurrect this person and make him real because he's unknown. She did the same thing with Castrati. Castrati are uh, previously children, young boys in Italy who had their testicles cut off so they could hit really high notes, which is thankfully not practiced anymore. But she, uh, there's a very famous Castrati, starts with an, an F, I can look it up, where she dug up like a legendary Castrati person. She dug up all of his most famous pieces that again are not sung today because they're written for Castrati. So she resurrected all these pieces that no one's singing anymore. And not only did she perform them, but because she's extra, she like did full male drag and like dressed up like a hot 18th century cupcake <laughs> running around in full male drag, both for like recorded performances and for photo shoots and for the album and all this stuff. And just like her obvious passion and involvement is very inspiring to me. I'm like, what a fucking nerd. And then I just sort of realized, why am I not studying opera? The hell's stopping me now. I'm home all the time. Jesus, what am I waiting for? So in like in an hour of like doing the Cecilia Bartoli deep dive to just like Googling Skype opera teacher, I found a wonderful um, opera singer teacher, uh, Matthew Anshell, who's in New York. He's a working professional. He's doing rehearsals at the Met right now. What I love is that he's like, I've been doing online teaching for the last five years. So the pandemic is not news to me, which is great because he already had his whole thing figured out of like teaching remote, especially for someone who's part regularly part of touring companies. Smart, mm -hmm. smart, 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 smart. This is not a, a pandemic invention. This is like, this is how he makes his hustle on the side. He's been amazing to work with. So I've been doing like opera for a month for fun in my job. This is something where like I had to connect a few dots. So like I've done a lot of singing for DreamWorks for um, animated shows like Trolls. I sing the theme song to The Mighty Ones, which is another DreamWorks show that's on right now. But it sort of dawned on me also that like I'm a singer who doesn't practice. Like I don't sing for fun when I'm not being paid for it, which is probably not great. I've worked with um, a vocal coach before. I worked with Melissa Cross, who's known as sort of like the world's premier vocal coach to work with for metal, screaming, growling, all that stuff. And I started working with her because there was a point a few years back where I was so busy, and it's not really a brag when it's wearing you down. I was so busy doing like video game stuff and like full strenuous yelling, da 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 da, and singing for DreamWorks. I don't know, singing for DreamWorks, particularly for trolls, because I performed three recurring characters on Trolls with completely different voices. They were having me learn songs to do as three different characters in three different harmonies. And like, I look back on, I went to perform in arts high school and I did choir and I'm like, thank God I did choir or else I wouldn't be able to cope with this. Like anybody who shits on kids in the arts, fuck you. Cause you don't know when this stuff comes back. It came right back into my professional career, you know, 25 years later. <laughs> so I'm glad I just look what good is choir. Well, it makes me money. And like my husband loves to say, well, my wife's a professional recording artist. Cause I have gotten like residuals from RCA records because trolls put out soundtracks. I have like a cute little troll soundtrack, RCA records bizarre. Again, like this is not something that I intended to happen for myself when I said I would do voiceover and start doing like commercials and games and stuff. It just happened to be part of my job. But now like there's, an intention where like, oh, well, you know who can sing and sing in harmonies, different characters, Frida. Well, this is obviously, again, just like with utility work, something that I would like to keep healthy. Again, it's like a muscle that has to be flexed. You don't want to show up cold. I started working with Melissa Cross because prior to working with her, I never, and even having been a singer in high school, I never like did any warmups. I didn't know anything about vocal maintenance. There is a whole bunch of, just like when you're working out and you're supposed to stretch afterwards or use a foam roller. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you can do for your vocal folds 
that I didn't know anything about. It completely changed the way I treat myself, basically. I have it on my website. There's a there's a blog called Vocal Care and Maintenance. And there's just a lot of misnomers. Um, the vocal folds are, it looks like a vagina. I actually have mine uploaded to YouTube. You can look at my vocal folds. It truly looks like a vagina. They're two cords is a weird misnomer. There are folds. They're two little thin, thin, thin membranes. And the way they make sound like the way I'm talking now is that air punches through them. And if you watch, they just vibrate together. If you're doing opera, they're they're very open. And as Matthew loves to tell me, so like screamers, yellers often get polyps or cysts, nodules that have to be surgically removed. It's from the rubbing, from the rubbing. Ah! When you do that, it's rubbing. Opera singers keep it very open. Well, what happens? They don't get cysts. They hemorrhage and cough blood. <sighs> so there's all these like injuries that happen. And obviously there's ways to prevent them and do maintenance. There's stuff with like straws that you do after all the stuff to keep your folds healthy that I didn't know about. That's all incredibly invaluable information for Melissa, where I was like, please teach me how to yell without hurting myself, without losing my voice, how I can bounce back my voice afterwards, and then how I sing the next day and not sound like shit and make everybody in the chain look bad for booking me because I can't handle the workload. I can't, I can't afford to make anybody look bad, right? So this is funnily feedback looping into like, I started doing opera for like it's a genetic birth right my father's father was like a semi-pro touring opera singer or whatever and i knew that i could be loud and bombastic and put on vibrato but again these this is not unique or special it's like saying i'm a soccer player and i know how to kick good for you it's not special right and so if you can do that it's not vibrato does not opera make loud does not opera make in working with matthew in the last just a month i worked with him actually on friday i'm, I'm doing a, a song this week for work where I was like, I kind of have an emergency. I had to hit a high note in a musical theater belt. I've never worked on my belting with anybody. And I'm discovering all this stuff where like my E's are really clenched and I talk with my mouth really clenched like this. And there's this magical mechanism that happens that when the reason that opera singers sing like this is because it changes the sound completely. Matthew calls it a gay moo cow, moo, moo. I think of it as a trumpet. Surprise, if you change the shape of the instrument, it changes the shape like a trumpet, like any sort of brass instrument. The shape of the bell will change how it resonates and how it carries like across, like if you're in opera, how it has to cross across an entire house, right? The whole theater. I'm going to keep, you know how it's like some people post their like workout progress on, on social media. I'm, for my own accountability, I'm going to keep posting like my progress with, with opera because in learning how to shift my physical mechanism, all these crazy things have started happening that I didn't know I could do. Because again, I never worked with somebody for singing on this level. I'm a total masochist. And when I started this, I was just like, what's the most technically difficult thing? Opera, right? And you would think it's unrelated to voiceover, but my God, it is so related. So for example, with um, singing, I've only ever been a mouth breather. I mean, I know I already knew about diaphragmatic breathing. I'm not starting from scratch there, but I just, I just knew to do it with my mouth. And Matthew's like, nah, just, just do it with your nose. And there's suddenly like all this air and support that I didn't know that I had. It's insane. Or um, I started filming myself singing, not for social media, but just to like watch the playback and see how tight my jaw is. In my head, I think I'm opening it, and I'm not. In the same way, we're like, I'm, I'm a weightlifting enthusiast. You don't really know what your form is until you film it and play it back. You might actually be rounding your back. You might actually be doing butt wink, all this stuff that until someone else points it out and watches your form or you watch yourself back, you're like, oh, oh no, oh no, oh no. And then you fix it and suddenly it's a completely different thing. Suddenly you can lift all this more weight. 
Well, I started doing all these things that Matthew's telling me, like dropping my jaw and I'm like, what? Blew my own mind, right? Like I have this power that I didn't know I had. And now I've already had to work with him on a work thing. Anyway, um, that's all technically interesting to me because if I was still, if I felt like I needed to work on VO stuff, I would be taking VO lessons. But at this point, I, I know enough of what's expected from me that I feel confident that my ideas are good enough and my skill level and reactivity to direction is good enough to kind of do that as my job. Now I want to come back around and like feed my hobbies, which incidentally are enriching my job. Mm-hmm. It's all lateral. It's it, it's not on purpose, right. but it is looping back into my job. And I think ultimately it will make me a better voice actor and a better singer when I'm asked to do it for my job. Yeah. Isn't the same thing with like, um, like audio people are like, so, uh, so you write music, right? So you sound design, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then you learn as you go. Yeah. Then you'll actually, you know, do better if you ask other sound designers, hey, how do you make a weapon sound? Mm. Let people know you don't know what you're doing. Uh, right? Because there's other people there. See, you know what I'm talking about. It's the same thing. So like, I've never really thought of myself as a singer. I just know that I can sing, but I would love to have the confidence of like, yes, I'm actively working on this. I'm actively flexing these muscles. I'm doing opera for fun, but I'm also like ready to go and know how to take care of myself if I have to do it for a job and nobody has to look stupid in the chain. Or I just like, I just figured out another thing this week. My God, I didn't realize I was, are you, are you familiar with speech jammers? No. So you can look up speech jammers on YouTube. Speech jammer is if you're listening to yourself actively while you're talking, if there's any latency, the way the brain processes speech, you can't talk over it because you cannot turn off your active listening. What have I been doing my whole life? Cause I'm a dumbass. Even with like, um, I feel bad, like looking back on professional recordings with DreamWorks, I've only ever practiced over the full vocal demos and never just the accompaniment playing instrumental stems. And when I've recorded, I record over the book because I'm so self-conscious and concerned about hitting a bad note. Mm. Even though that's stupid, everyone has auto-tune and can airbrush the crap out of your voice and pitch it and fix it. I'm still like, no, I must sing the correct note that I've been too clingy, desperately hanging on to the vocal reference. You can't sing over that because you can't turn off your active listening. And I caught that first this last week with opera where I was singing. I'm like singing against Maria freaking Callas in my ear and then I go back and listen to my playback and I'm like, ship, 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 ship. I'm like, what's happening? And then I go in and practice a cappella. It's completely different. I'm actually doing it. I'm like, what is Because go- <gasps> I can't turn off my active listening. So like the song I have coming up from work, I would like, again, this is a confidence security issue where I just like let go, just practice against the music stem. Magically, I'm singing full out. But it's stuff like that that I didn't know until I worked with a professional in a way, it's sort of like, you know, creative therapy. You just, mm. you don't know what you're doing until it's mirrored back to you, like therapy. Yeah. You you go to a therapist to tell them how you feel, and all a therapist ever does is repeat back to you what you just said, so you have to listen to it, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's the same thing with what I'm doing, or like filming yourself while you're lifting or whatever. You, you Everybody executes their own stupid programming until someone else points it out. So that's where I'm at right now. And it's also helping me get through pandemic stuff, because I'm I'm very wary of long COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID is such a wacky virus and it doesn't manifest any one way. And long COVID doesn't manifest any one way either. It can manifest in a variety hodgepodge of symptoms, including but not limited to a persistent cough, the fatigue, the brain fog, shortness of breath. All these things would end a voice actor's career. I take it deadly seriously. So I'm trying to not get COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
so I can keep doing my job and enjoying things like opera. So I'm at a point where I'm just like trying to find more things that I can do from the safety of my booth over the internet. So, hey, if you want to learn a new skill, think of something that can be taught to you over the internet. They're out there. I love that. And apparently people have been doing this before the pandemic. So <laughs> Weird. I know. They exist. Crazy. The internet has existed before the pandemic. Crazy. But everything that you just outlined is so good because so much of what we do is informed by things we never knew would inform that thing. Like so much of my sound design work, so much of, like podcasting has influenced my sound design work to a crazy degree. So you never know how things will influence other things. So one last question before we wrap up and we go into like, where can people find you and all that is when you first started and you can define that anywhere. You can define it at 18 when you're first in game dev. You can define it when you start going into voiceover, wherever you want to start, set that starting point. How did you define success, whatever that meant to you? And how has that changed and how do you define it now? Uh, I think, gosh, I've never actually thought about what success meant when I was a sound designer because so much of it is so like all this crap is just so subjective. Right. There's no like, like I have to roll my eyes at like awards for like right. you make the movie bestest. Oh God, who cares? Yeah. The audience like it? Did they not like good? Who cares? Who cares? Did they have a reaction? Like I don't. I always fall back on like the worst kind of mediocre art is the one that doesn't garner any reaction, mm -hmm. positive or negative. You don't want to do that. I mean, if you want to be hated, get a Razzie. Like go all the way, go all in. You know, the the least you can do is just like really really move people in any direction, not move people in no direction. Um, so for as a sound designer, I think I got satisfaction when I just, when I was really happy first with a set of sounds. And then, you know, how like sound design is a super thankless job and people only notice when it's broken or not working or whatever, but they, but when everything sounds right, that's the biggest compliment and you'll never hear about it. Especially when I was doing like creature design or something and people will be like, whoa, especially with creature design where you're, you have to develop like the essentially a language of like, this means pain, this means aggro, da, 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 da. And it's like, especially like a fictitious thing when that translates and people are, feel it and they're like, Oh, that's really cool. And I can understand when it's aggroing, being able to translate information that serves gameplay was cool. Right. Because again, this probably feeds back into how and why I do VO. Sound design is there to serve the gameplay. Sound design is not a jazz hands, look at me, look at me, distraction, wanking situation. It serves nothing. They'll turn off the audio. Same thing with like music. You can't just like make giant out of place showy music because they'll turn that shit off, man. Coming up, I when I was a kid, I, I played, especially in the era of, of Napster and MP3 players, I always had the music turned off. I was always playing my own music, you know? So just whenever someone bothered to even like sense that that something felt good and just being told that felt good or that gun felt good, you were like, and that's like, that's your one little kudos. And you have to like suck on that for the next year because you won't get another one. Right. So in VO, it's the same thing where, like I said earlier, success before I was like, sure of the the sustainability in terms of like being able to do this you know for money to make a living and not like freak out just making clients happy in the amount of time allotted and being hyper aware of we just need to get this done right the first time and there's no like there's no formula to that just being um very sensitive to taking direction or at least making it feel like you're listening to them and trying and i always like i'll bring up like a while back i was listening to um 
I was like behind the scenes for one of Bjork's albums and she, she was like directing a string arrangement. It was like a, a good like 10 people or something, 10, 10 players. And she's like, um, okay, this time can we make it sound more like blueberries? And sometimes you get direction like that and you can't make a face or laugh at it or whatever. You just have to free associate in them. Okay, well, what a blue, well, blueberries make me think of summer, make me think of like comfort, make me think of like pies, make me think of being with my family, whatever. Draw a line, make it emote differently. And then Bjork will say, thank you, because you made it sound like what you think blueberries sound like right? Your job is to take, especially like I'm a commercial artist. I'm not a fine artist. I don't write my own stuff and perform my own stuff. I, I perform other people's work. So my job is to take their direction. I don't think is explicit enough. It's to interpret their direction into something that feels good to them, whatever that means. And just like, just making them feel heard is half the battle. So there's that. And then the rest of it is just making my bills and having enough for savings, man. I'm very pragmatic. I'm very like, I could give a shit about people knowing who I am or people remembering who I am where I'm, when I'm dead or winning awards or anything. In the here and now, I just want to make my bills and I want to be able to save a little bit, which in America is very difficult. So in my own mind, I'm a winner already. Like I've, I've been able to do that. So now I just feel like I can, I've earned the right to like relax a little bit and maybe spend some of that money on things like opera lessons, for, which of course are just making me think about work. It's it's very difficult to turn off. I think I think when you are really genuinely invested in the creative space that you inhibit, you're always thinking about how it relates back. And it's not about not necessarily being obsessed with work. Like I can't say when people just spend all their time talking about work, 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 we're talking about like the project or the company or whatever, that's sick and toxic. And I think you need to not do that and be cognizant of like, come up for air once in a while and do anything else. Talk about anything else. It can't be your life. Cause again, your job can't love you back. But if you care about your skill set and your again, like flexing those muscles and leveling up and stretching a little bit, step outside, get a hobby. Any good actor will just tell you, man, get a life, get a life. Because what happens is if your whole job is I am good and worthy when I am booking, and I am nothing and no one in garbage when I'm not booking. Again, you just, you want to avoid the hole. Like the void of worthlessness is always going to be there. And it's easy to fall into if you put all your worth in the same basket. Don't do that. And if you do, again, you get stuck on this hamster wheel, which then infects your auditions. It's saying the same thing 50 different ways. Looking back, I think I'm successful enough now because I'm I'm doing my job and seeking other hobbies, which keeps my job interesting. Because I'm finding, like with opera, I'm finding new ways to do my job, maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit different than I did before. And I wouldn't have come back to this if I didn't step outside of this and be like, I want to do something else that seems totally unrelated, but it's secretly kind of related. Uh, I Yeah, I hope everybody finds their hobbies. Passion is too loaded for me. What are you passionate about? I don't know. Tacos. I think tacos are great. I think movies are cool. Pa I don't. Passion is it's wanky to me. Start with hobbies, things that you do for for nothing and for no one but yourself that make your damn self happy. And then when you come away from your hobby, you will feel so much more energized and invested and plugged in to your professional life or your personal life. If you're feeding yourself first, I think that's the most important thing. I hope I hope 
if nothing else anybody gets that out of this. Make yourself happy first for the love of God. And in in times of the pandemic, I think that's especially important. That's incredibly crucial. Yeah. And it's it's a good lesson to take away from this. So before we wrap up, where can people find you? Where can people find that good how to be a voice actor page? All that stuff. Me and my weird name, Frida Wolf, F-R-Y-D-A-W-O-L-F-F dot com is my website. And I've tried to make it as organized as possible. The big how to become a voice actor pages there. There's a bunch of links. I try to make sure that they're not dead. My pro tips, it's called pro tips is where um, when people ask me about very specific topics, like how do I get an agent, how to get their demo? I've made blogs there. I'm on Twitter at free the wolf VO. Very important uh, lesson. When a new social media platform comes out, register your name, even if you don't plan to use it, because if you give it up, like I did on Instagram and Twitter, some random person will come and take you and not give it back. So that's something I learned the hard way. Just register your name. Don't even use it. Don't ever use social media. Just get your name so some other person, and they, like that account suspended on Twitter now. I'll never get it back. So cool. So yeah, that's that's my pro tip to, to all you people. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time today. I really, really appreciate it. And I think people are going to get lots of delicious nugs out of this. Thanks, Akash. I'm here for the nugs. <laughs> That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you wanna learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound, B-I-Z, pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. And if you're looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.